Hey, what's up, guys? This is Lucas Burnley, along with my co-host, TJ Schwartz, and you are listening to the Edge and Flow podcast. How's it going, TJ? Doing really well. I'm, well, I'm you're tired. A tired today. I'm tired, but I'm I'm happy, <laughs> dude. I, I'm actually having a great week. But okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna swing back into why you're tired. That's gonna kind of be the topic of the show today. But first, this is super exciting. I don't know why this is so exciting, but we had a listener call in with a correction from a previous episode, um, and I love that. So basically, I was talking about some of like the knife centers, knife cities around the globe. And I said that the knife city in Spain was Toledo. And this is incorrect. I think I knew it was incorrect, but now I definitely know it's incorrect. So, uh, he pointed out that the primary hub for cutlery in Spain is actually a town called Albacete. Um, and just so you guys have like some context, and if you want to like look up a few brands or anything like from there, uh, we have, uh, let's see, Arcos. So it's Arcos.com, A-R-C-O-S, uh, Joker.es. And one that most people will know is Muela. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Albacete, Spain. Yeah. Albacete, and Spain. if you didn't catch the last episode, we were just riffing on like kind of hot spots of knife manufacturing around the globe. It was kind of a spontaneous little conversation. And we were naming off kind of the like knife city capitals of the world. Yep. And that, that we had the, the guy email us from Spain. He's from Spain and had a, had a little input on what we chose for the Spanish capital. Yep. Yep. He's from, uh, from Madrid. Yeah. Mm. I think the, I think the miss like in my head, I think maybe swords used to come from Toledo and I, I think there was like a logical, progression mm, there yeah. that was not yeah. actually logical. Right. So, um, yeah, so I've been checking out some of these companies, just kind of cool to see. And it's crazy because you forget that for all that we know about knives or like if you're a collector and follow knives, well, sometimes once it crosses the borders, it like gets kind of gets muddy. So yeah. I'm curious if you guys know of any other hubs around the world where knives are like the primary business or like that was it's like a family yeah. industry we would love to yeah. know yeah and also corrections i mean we we love getting the corrections it's yeah. uh it's good to have insights so if you're listening and if anything if you get a little sting because you feel like there's a factual <laughs> you know yeah. contradiction then let us know yeah fact check us yeah I love it. yeah all right you want to get into it Sorry we i feel like we have talked about this at least in passing but today's episode is what is work Okay. What is it? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, it's something that I, I think you and I are, we're experiencing it in different ways, right? I think for me, <laughs> there's like a sense of existential dread when I'm doing things that don't feel familiar as work, but I know they're valuable. Um, but let's, let's go into your night last night. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, uh, I have my parts surface ground, all my custom knives that I'm making, all, all my overlands and confidants and whatnot that you hear about and they're surface ground, which means, you know, you get a sheet of steel real rough and coarse. It's, it's been milled and hot rolled at a factory. And so it has to be ground perfectly flat and even, and it's kind of hard to source that. And there every, uh, most knife manufacturers have to do that. And so a lot of companies are doing it in house. 
and I don't have the space to do it in-house. And so I've been having to have help from local Boise companies to do the surface grinding. But it seems like with almost every knife manufacturer, like inside their own company, surface grinding is often a bottleneck for them. And so I just, I've had a hard time having like super reliable uh, surface grinding. I've gotten good results from the people that have helped me out and I've appreciated that a lot, but they're bottlenecks for them. So it's kind of hard to justify doing work for me. So I started to think about what's a solution that's permanent. And I mentioned it before, but I, I told my brother-in-law about this kind of niche and he's kind of really, really into tinkering with machines and really good at fixing stuff. And I told him, you know, there's a niche in the industry that I'm in and it's like, someone should be doing more surface grinding from a third party level, like a vendor um, that, that is dedicated to knives. Because if you've ever tried to surface grind a knife, it's, it's kind of technical compared to say surface grinding, like a casting, because a lot of regular machine shops would surface grind, like a cylinder head for a, you know, an engine. And it's, it's a big hunk of steel. It's not going to warp on you. It's, yep. it's heavy. It diffuses the heat. But a little thin part like a knife, like it takes some some detail and some nuance. And I, I told my brother-in-law, I'm like, if you learn, if you get a machine and you, you learn how to do this with knives and you get it right and you get this system down, I think you have a niche right there that you could probably help a lot of people out and you can definitely help me out. So he went and bought one a couple months ago and he's been working on getting his shop all tuned up. And I've been kind of telling him that a batch was coming, uh, that I have knives coming and that we can get ready. And so he got ready in, in, in time and it was awesome. And yesterday I picked up the water jet blanks in Boise and I went to take them to my brother-in-law's and he works nights with his day job. That's kind of contradictive, but he works nights. And uh, so he basically is on a sleep schedule right now where he sleeps during the day. And so he, I knew he was going to start to grind these at night. And I was like, well, I'm, I trust him fully. And I, I think he has a great like eye for detail. But I, I know both of us are completely inexperienced with surface grinding, but I think two heads were probably better than one if we're both totally. kind of overseeing this first attempt to grind these parts. And well, so you I, know what you want out of the end product. Yeah. He's he's like working to figure out how to get there, but there's no version where just having him is a better solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because having like a feedback loop too. It's yeah. like if, if I'm sleeping and he texts me like, is this the finish you're looking for? Right. Is this the thickness? Whatever. Yeah. Like I wanted to be there. Um, just accelerate everything. And so I took the parts over there and once again, he, he wakes up like four or five in the afternoon. I had worked all day in my shop. I take the parts there and we get to work getting like this recipe figured out for surface grinding these knives. And I didn't leave the, his shop until 6am. So it was like <sighs> basically starting in my shop at like six 30 in the morning is a full 24 hours of like basically running machines <laughs> and then came home. I don't sleep very well, like in daylight. I just, even if I'm that tired and I slept for like two or three hours and then got back in my shop, got my machines running again. So I've basically been running machines for 28 of the last like 32 hours. <laughs> so okay. I'm, I'm kind of about at the end of my rope. <laughs> now you're, so if and I now space you're recording out, a pod. Just be aware. That's, that's why. It's staring at the wall. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, okay. So that is, that is totally in line with what you're doing. It's like a, you're scaling, you're creating an internal process externally. It's pretty cool. It's like mm -hmm. you have a subcontractor. Yeah, it's like a satellite. So you, yeah, yeah. It's like a satellite, which oddly enough, like going back to, you know, the cutlery cities, 
is actually kind of how a lot of this starts, I mm-hmm. think, because you mm-hmm. have, like, if you look at Maniago, you have a family that is producing a knife. They probably get to a point where there's some process that is taking too much time and a neighbor down the street is able to pick that up, mm-hmm. you know, tumbling or, you know, and I think it still happens in the modern context, but I think back in the day, that was really mm-hmm. how businesses grew. And then yeah. probably at some point you're like, Hey, all right. Like you have this skill and this tool, we're building this building. You bring it in. Yeah. 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 Right. So pretty cool because you are, you're utilizing your manufacturing capabilities right now to expand your business, but you're not expanding your footprint. Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I told him, I said, you know, like, I, I really appreciate you helping me out here because I don't, I don't have really any time left on my schedule to actually be the guy that runs this. Right. And I don't have the space. So it was getting to the point where if I didn't have a solution for surface grinding, like I was going to have to rent like an industrial space only yeah, for the for sake that. of the surface grinding and yeah. then possibly hire an employee. And I'm like, if I had help and then if he can grow a business on his own, like expand that, that it's yeah. kind of an ideal scenario. So I'm really happy. And I was, I was there for a long time. Like I was probably 13 hours. We were out there, but we, we did get parts off of that that were perfect. I mean, like it, we finally got there. And if you ground knives before, you know, like there's just, there's a tiny little window of feeds and speeds, dressing the wheel, you know, getting the coolant in just the right spot. Like we had to kind of suss out like all this stuff. Um, just boom, like bang it out. Just I've always felt that that surface grinding in particular is like a combination of science and art or like witchcraft because there's so many, like when TJ is saying that you can't just go to any shop. I mean, most machinists know how to grind like a hardened piece of D2. It's the variables that come in, you know, you're dealing with something that's like long and thin. It ripples it. It's a different alloy. The hardnesses are different. Like there's so many little areas where you actually have to figure out how to do it well, that it makes it very hard to outsource. The crazy thing about what you said with companies that are doing internal surface grinding is that they're bottlenecked Mm -hmm. on service grinding. And I guess that actually makes sense because it's not a super fast process um, to do well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you outsourcing a lot of them to yourself. Yeah. And a lot of them, like a Blanchard grinder is yep. the high volume way to do this. Yeah. But you know, different people have different results. There's different ways of doing it, but generally speaking, a surface grinder is going to get a better, better finish and yep. be, uh, generally tighter on the thickness tolerance than a Blanchard. Yep. But a Blanchard is going to remove material way faster. Yep. Um, and so like, just for example, you look at a, like a Benchmade, you can see the Blanchard grinding, like it's yep. just the flat part of the blade. And that's just like, when you get to a certain volume, level you really have no option but to go to that to go to yeah. like a large blanchard type system um and so i'm trying to stay with that really fine finish and that really you know f- flat parallel perf, perf you know great uh thickness tolerance and so i i really would like to have my finish be surface ground um but to make it faster maybe someday i could have like full sheets blanchard ground and then surface grind to finish something you know there's a lot of ways to do it you just but, gave me a lovely segue. All right. So uh, here's sure. the first thought exercise. Okay. Okay. What is work? So you currently have output of knives that you need to have surface grind offsite. You now have someone who is trained to surface grind and owns a machine. Okay. 
you see an, a niche in the market for the potential for more service grinding. Like, you know, at a point, maybe, maybe he is efficient enough to take on another client. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my brain in classic, what is work form would go, Hey, can I actually build a grinding business around this? So you're talking about Blanchard grinders in two years. Do you fund, do you essentially start a grinding company with him as a primary and add machines because it's actually what you need Mm -hmm. for your company, but it can also be its own company. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the weird thing is when you look at that, you're like, would right now, the way that you're working, you feel that you are like doing your work. Right. Okay. Is, (laughs) is building a grinding company work? Or is that something different? Uh, <laughs> honestly, yeah. It so supply chain management, man. That's mm-hmm. it. That because like at a certain level, when you when you're dealing with the supply chain, like if you're looking to grow and you're having to grow a supply chain, you also are having to talk to people that are helping you out and say like, what do you need? Okay, if I'm doing twice as many knives or twice as many of whatever, can you do that? If you can't, what is what what would be required to do that? You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like it becomes a human conversation. And so the work becomes the relationships and the conversations and the like deep study. And so part of why I wanted to be there that night is last night is partly because I like, I kind of want to understand how this works Yep. because it, it's helpful for me to know, like in the future, if I'm trying to scale up, like what are the limitations of this way of setting up my supply chain? Right. And so I feel like I know a little more. So it's like a learning curve human relationship part and all that's work. I think, you know, it's a different kind of work than literally making knives. Yep. So that's, that's one, one job, one machine. Theoretically, the process that you guys designed last night, you don't have to go back for. Okay. Right. The next time you go back now, do you do any hardened surface grinding? No. Mm -mm. So you, okay. So that's a, Mm -hmm. that's actually a big one right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, say you start doing folders and you're like, you know, it'd be really cool is being able to lap the mm-hmm. titanium or, or maybe double disc. I don't know. I know you can grind titanium. I've never really done it except for with yeah. like belts on a service I grinder. I don't know much about that. But that idea of your own expansion fueling something that takes time away from your primary focus Right. So if it ever did get to the point where you're like, man, this is crazy. Okay. We've got 12 machines and we've got this output. If you're involved in some way, that's time that might be creating value, might be creating revenue, but is pulling you from other tasks. Mm -hmm. So this is where I struggle a lot, right? This idea of like, what is work? Podcast would be another example of this. It obviously creates value. We enjoy it, but, but is it work? Right. Like at a base level? Yeah. Like you could say like, well, yeah. Okay. So it like generates a return or whatever it's work, but this is, I think this is maybe in the larger, the larger creative sense. And I feel like a lot of people develop their work ethic and their work habits at specific points in their career. And then it can be hard to accept new kind of new methods or functionality as true work. I'm doing quotes right, right now. Right, right. You guys can't see that. 
know. Yeah, yeah. And and no, I, I get where you're coming from. It's like if you're if you are, let's say, like an attorney and then you decide to write a novel, it doesn't right. feel like work because that's not what you've defined as work. Yeah, your muscle memory yeah. is not there. Yeah. And so I've I've tried to be as good as possible about like defining anything under the sphere. If it's if it's not family, it's probably work for me. Okay. Because right that's now fair. my my hobbies are pretty much work. Yep. which I love, like I, I don't feel enslaved by it. It's like yep. exactly what I want to be doing. Um, and so I, I try to watch myself because it's like, if I can't find a way to justify it as work, I have to kind of, I have to think about that and be like, do I really want to be doing this? You know right. what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I would define most things like podcasting, helping set up supply chain. Um, you know, like him and I, we were smoking cigars and drinking Coors Light. Right. grinding knives and i'm like well i guess this is work it's all right <laughs> yeah well and that man i think that yeah some of this stuff has to just be like timelines like for me i think we've talked about this a little bit like for some reason if i'm hand making a knife i feel like i'm working mm-hmm. given what i actually do for a living now and my workflow that's like not super practical but somewhere in there, I still struggle with the, like for years I would do my design work at night, mm-hmm. even after the design work became like very valuable. I still didn't look at it as my work, my job. Mm-hmm. You would find that you'd put it in the margins because you'd it put was it not in to, the margins, yeah. which doesn't. So this is, this is like one of the cr- questions that surrounds this, right? Is it value based, which I don't, for me, I don't think it is. There's something in there that's like glitching that is, it doesn't, even if something, if is more valuable from a monetary standpoint, there's still a strong chance that I'm going to kind of side eye it and be like, Mm -hmm. no, no, like that's not like, if I, if I'm not getting in the shop, I'm not working. Right. Well, that's, it's like, it's ridiculous, but I feel like there's, I feel like there's a lesson there maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just can't figure out what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that comes down to a lot of, a lot of how you started. I mean, you started basically just hand making knives, right. you know, and so you're coming from a different direction. Now you, you're becoming more of a product manager in a lot of ways in certain parts of your business yep. where that's not what you were doing. Um, and so, yeah, that when you have an inversion in like your business model, right. The programming of this is what I'm, this is how I provide value for my brand and my business Yep, has to change as a mindset. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Well, and I think then the, it's like, like this idea of like right livelihood, you watch it and you figure out like, okay, do I like this path as the method of work? Mm-hmm. Right. I think in certain careers, it's like fairly linear. Where with a lot of small businesses, you, you're actually able to shift pretty far one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, it's a... Well, let me say this. Like, this, yeah. is a, this is a philosophy I have that maybe is different than many people. But there's a lot of, like, mentalities out there that maybe you should do something that doesn't feel like work. And I, I understand that but it can be misconstrued. And, and what I mean by that is like, if you want to be a writer or an artist, in my opinion, and this is a philosophy that I get from my dad, but it's like, if you want to be a writer or an artist or something like that, you have to treat it like work 
or it's it's not going to be a productive mechanism like creativity has to be treated like work for it to, yeah. per, to, to I perform always love at a high quote, level like creativity is for amateurs like the rest of us just show up and go to work exactly like there's a point where yeah. you have to just be able to turn on that creative side because yeah. it's what is necessitated and there's a book i just bought that i haven't read but i listened to a, a, a big podcast with him uh shoot i'm forgetting the name right now but the main premise that he talked about in the podcast that he wrote about in the book too was the idea of resistance. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of that? And that, what that is, is like, that's a word that kind of broadly describes things like writer's block and stuff like that. And he was talking about how, for whatever reason, we have like a voice in our head that wants to resist forward productivity sometimes. And Mm -hmm. it's like writer's block. We all experience that in the shop, creative block. Like, you know, you're looking at a blank page, looking at a blank screen with, you know, cat or whatever. You don't know where to start. Not sure where to start. And there's that little switch that's like, hey, man, your juices aren't flowing. You know, do something different and come back to it. His point was like, don't listen to that. Because if if you're in this state of like, oh, the muse didn't come to me. So I'm just going to walk away. Then you're not on a path to like be successful in a creative way. Uh, because it's like you have to go and find it and that resistance when you feel like it, it's the same thing if you're doing like hard manual labor yeah. you know what i mean it's like you have to just do it and that's the way like creativity is as well and i try to view it that way that it is work you know what i mean and it, it's liberating I'm having, for me. Like, I'm having a response to that like i'll have to read the book once we figure out and what I, it actually is. I will say I didn't read it. But yeah, yeah. I, to be I, fair, I listen- but, but you're, you're paraphrasing yeah. from listening to a pod, which is still yeah. relevant. Yeah. Right. For me, I feel like, yeah, I kind of want to like push against that because I think the idea of diversification, one of the values of that is you're able to focus where your focus is maybe like super early days, I would agree with that where it's like, no, no, like you have to get to this like level of mastery and like everything goes into this. But at a point you're also in maintenance mode. So you can't be in a growth phase a hundred percent of the time. Right. Right. There are times I think where having flexibility of work allows you to create space and still have forward momentum. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that you like, you can't push through, but like, I don't know. Yeah. You ever heard the term don't push the rope? Yeah. Yeah. It's no. like, you know, or don't yeah. fight a weak position. It's like, there's yeah. a point where you realize like, okay, I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time forcing myself to do this task that for whatever reason I am not aligned with versus all right, today's a CAD day mm-hmm. or today's like sweep the shop day. Mm-hmm. Context, I think probably matters a lot because we would have to know like what industry, what he's talking about. And like, is he a writer specifically talking about writers? And like, you, mm-hmm. ca- I mean, I would assume that you have some other tasks that you could probably do, but it's, it's, it's more linear than kind yeah. of shop work, yeah. right. Or creative, like physical creation. Right. Maybe we should, we should read the book. Okay. And we should have this conversation. Also, I, I have it sitting on my shelf in the living room. I, okay. I It was delivered not long ago. I just haven't cracked it yet. Edge but, and Flow Book Club. Yeah, here we love go. It. Yeah, I maybe we should it. do that and get, get some viewers <laughs> involved. Let us know if you if we should do that. But, uh, but know that I just think, like, if you're going to have a hobby, 
have a hobby. If you're going to do something as a job, like for me, you know, designing and making knives, treat it like work. And if you don't, if you treat it like a hobby, it's going to make you the same amount of money that a hobby makes you. And it's going to make, it's going to get you to where a hobby is going to get you, which is not very far. But if you treat it like work, like you can go so much further. It's like, you just hear from, you know, any professional athlete, anybody that's made it to the next level, like the best pianist in the world, the best, you know, musician, the best rock star, like they did treat it like work. You know what I mean? Um, it's, It's like, it's almost universal, I think to like, to the successful that, they did kind of separate the hobby and the work. And they said, no, I'm treating it like work. Right. And, well, and, and I, passion, I think the idea, like, you know, the idea of like, do what you would do for free. Like there's all these, you know, old adages around it. And like, I don't know, I guess there's some, maybe some accuracy sometimes, yeah, but yeah. like the enjoying your work is not necessarily the same as like doing what you would do for free. Mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. can have passion around work and still realize it's work, still feel driven to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so here, let's go back to this concept of knife company, grinding company. Mm-hmm. So you start this imaginary grinding company. It actually proves to be very valuable. It's more financially valuable than your knife company. Which ones work? Right. Are they both work? Does the fact that the grinding company is more valuable? Does that take away if you're working in the knife company? Right. Cause it's like, there's like a, a leapfrog effect. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I think the, how this could maybe be misconstrued is that like the main goal of treating it like work is to make more money. And I, right. I would argue that that's not the case. Cause like, like you described, if another business opportunity popped up for me that was totally divergent and that made more money, like let's say all of a sudden I, got really good at trading crypto and stocks yep. and I just became a wall street guy like in a few, few weeks. Sure. I, I think that when I, it's something I love and that is like making my products and making yep. my knives and I love knives. I love the outdoors and I love how they are used outdoors. And like, it, it's kind of like a harmony that, that makes me happy. Right. And I love it. And if I was doing something different with my life, it is something that could be a hobby but because I'm using it to fund my existence, yeah. I am treating it like work. But the core tenant is still that I love it. Yeah. But I can love it like a hobby, but it not be a hobby. That's fair. like, that's the way I look at it. That's fair. And so it's like, I wouldn't want to do something that I didn't love because it made more money. I just totally. I wouldn't do that. No. And none of us would be doing probably what we are doing if it was purely yeah. money driven. But as you're, as you have more demands on your time, there is some relevance to figuring out where, what deserves your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, a really great conversation with a therapist a while back. Um, and I was kind of going through some of this stuff and I was like, I'm really split because on one hand, I just want to make craft. Like, that's why I love learning forging. When I'm forging, I feel like I'm a really, like a, I'm like learning a high level of craftsmanship and I'm a good craftsman. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I love brand building. Mm-hmm. And they're so different because like one is, is pushing into like sales and marketing and strategy. And the other is f- full on free form, creative, like, productive work 
right? right. With my hands. Like you look hands back on. and you're like, I see the work that I have done. Yeah. It's physical versus virtual in a sense. Physical versus virtual. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, man, cause our, I mean, our business at, at least is three very recognizable components. Mm-hmm. Right. So me as a knife maker, us as Burnley brand, me as a designer for production companies, all of those things are, at a point where they could be their own business essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my question to James was like, like, dude, I don't know where to put my focus. And like another silly analogy, but like apropos and, and I like it is like, you know, the idea of feeding the right wolf. Mm-hmm. And his response was just, dude, maybe you have two wolves. Yeah. And it completely shifted the way that I was feeling. Cause I was, he was like, you're trying to frame this as a negative. He's like, you're framing that you like this and this and they conflict as negatives. He's like, what if they're not negatives? Like mm-hmm. it's just two things that you enjoy and find yeah. value from. Yeah. And so after that point, I was like, it, it created some space around. I don't feel bad when I'm thinking about like a brand slogan. Right. Or, you know, I don't feel bad if I'm messing around in the forge and not actually generating income. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. Instead of one wolf, I have two wolves. That's badass. But it's that slight reframe. And I think that with scaling, I think, and as work changes, I actually think it's like how you frame what so you're doing. For you, is forging work or is it a hobby? What do you describe it as? I would say over the last year, a lot of things that I would have tried to separate have blended to where before I almost saw like product lines. And now I see an ecosystem that like a creative ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Not everything has the same bottom line or bottom line value. So I can't look, you know, I can look at the side pop and say, when I make a side pop, here's my profit. Okay. I can't do that with forging. So forging might actually tie into like social media because, Hey, if I'm forging and that's like kind of interesting content, I might record a little bit of that. It's too nebulous. Like, well, it's kind of like if you're a baseball player and you're doing push-ups, push-ups isn't baseball. Right. But it's still work, right? I would right. like you to put that on a shirt. Push-ups <laughs> isn't baseball. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's like our it, push-ups is hobby because it's not baseball. Right. No, it's right. still work. And it's, it's like all related. you're doing push-ups when you're out there forging a blade. Yeah, it's not literally your your business, like designing knives for right. companies and, you know, making uh, like saleable products and whatnot necessarily. But yeah. It is building your skill set and like you're you're tuning your your eye and you're doing things that are productive for the rest of your operation. Right. E- yeah. Even at a point like the mental maintenance. Okay. Of it. Dependent. Regardless of how you define it, do you treat okay. it like work or not? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. But but I've treated knife making like work from the first knife I ever made. Can I? I never came at it as a hobby. Can I say an observation and see how it sounds to you? I think part of your success over the years has been that you are driven to treat everything like work. Uh, Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah. 
which has its like own set of problems. Yeah. So what are the problems? Uh, I would say that the problems around that concept kind of fall into a very Western mindset of like, I am valuable because I produce. Mm-hmm. So this is like a weird maker thing and like how you end up in trades or anything else. I think for a lot of people, it's like when I'm making a product, I feel like I'm creating value. It's kind of mm-hmm. weird, right? Yeah. Um, I also think it ties into the hedonic treadmill, right? I produce more, I produce better. Therefore I am more complete. I am happier. I work harder. I make more money, more money. It gives my family more meat, whatever it is that, that method I think has some pretty big pitfalls. So lately I have tried to focus less on the end result of my work and more on the act of working. Because if we're saying that work is not 100% fueled by profit, then what, what is it fueled by and what can we, what purpose can we serve by doing it? I'll say this. I'm a very firm believer, like a very, very strong believer that we as humans have to be productive. Sure. To be alive in a reasonably content state like i believe that from a like pure biology like pure hard science standpoint like if you if you totally become unproductive like it's very hard to be happy like yeah and that is something that can be taken to an absurdity it's just like any other facet of like human nature it's like if you know lust can be taken to absurdity you know like the desire for anything that a human normally desires it can be taken to an absurdity but like there is a threshold where like a certain m- amount of pro- productivity is needed to be felt for like just a balanced like sense of self-worth. Like I, I believe that that's a legit thing. Oh, I completely agree. Right. And that's just, I think that's mm-hmm. purpose and yeah. Well, okay. So if you take this from the context, like I think a lot of our work is centered around like the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. It's the eight hour work day, the 40 hour work week, um, it's school system. Like there's a lot tied into this that didn't exist prior to that mm-hmm. where you could Can I, even, even farming. Let me yeah. finish this thought yeah, at least, yeah, ahead, right? Like seasonal work where like you work very hard for certain seasons and then the nature of the work changes. It's mm-hmm. not that you're like, Oh, I got to get my 40 hours. Definitely not like, Oh, I got to get my, my 40 hours plus my overtime. Mm-hmm. Right. That I think is, is a fairly new construct. Right. Doesn't mean you're not feeling satisfied if you're working, you know, four hours a day. And it, my, my thoughts on that. And I, I agree with you. And I've thought about that a little bit too, is that like, it's a lot, it may not be true, but a lot of people think that like back in the olden days, things were simpler and people were like generally more balanced and happier. Like, I don't know if that's true, but that's kind of a notion that a lot of people have that, you know, post industrial revolution, there's like a little bit more of a gloom. You know, um, I don't know if it's true, but if it is, I think part of it is that like it used to be there was really no way to do work without immediately seeing some sort of result. You know, like if you plant a seed, if you till a field, if you 
feed a horse like you the results are like really the feedback loop is short and narrow and small and it's right. like that sense of that sense of productivity was very easy to access in the environment around you you know yep. that's what the kind of jobs were but i think maybe with the industrial revolution there was the feedback loop became like one-sided because it's like right. if your productivity feels like it's not actual productivity even though you're moving your hands and you're doing work Right. If you're not getting the feedback loop of like, oh, that's what happened as a result. Totally. It's almost like the the need for that is like going unmet in like a large population. And so it's like that's where you get this like extremism behavior a little bit of like trying to achieve to like the highest level because you're looking for that full loop to be made. And that's where I think with you with like forging, you sit down and you make that knife and it's like it answers that like primal need. For, for I hit ca- the hammer. Like cause and effect almost. Yeah, I held the hammer. I hit the steel. It made yeah. a dent. Like, yeah. I think that is something that humans need. And it's right. like, it's, it's just not super common anymore. And um, there's a, there's an end to it. You see, yeah. you see a beginning, you see yeah. an end. Like that is seasonal. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so I, I read a book a while back on work by James, Suzman, I believe. And it kind of goes, it kind of parallels that timeline from like stone age to like science age or like, mm-hmm. I forget what, how he phrased it, but super, super interesting as, as craftspeople, I think there are like, there's some interesting like hit points. So the, like even around work, right? So if you talk about work and the work day, the 40 hour work week, the concept that like when you become, when you transition from the craftsperson to the manager, you now look at craftspeople as a commodity. So you have to make your craftspeople function to make more money, but you're able to scale that. And there's some like really, I think there's some like interesting extensions that happen mm-hmm. that start to go past like, the human need of what work yeah. or the concept of work or what you're talking about is satisfying. Yeah. Right? And there, and, and there's also just the pure like time horizon factor yeah. of like the modern world and the modern economy. It's like the time horizon of the payoff for your work from a productivity standpoint might be too long for the like yeah. primal circle to be met there. Cause that part of that is like, for example, like when I design production knives, like it takes sometimes a very, very long time for those to come out. Right. And I don't know if you feel this, but I love designing production knives and I will absolutely always be doing it because it's really cool and it's an awesome experience. But there is a a little bit of a little hiccup in it. I don't know if you've ever felt it where it's like, say one year after the knife was designed, but it's still another year before it's going to come out. There's this lull of like a detachment from the design. And it's like, by the time it comes out, you're happy but you don't really associate it with the work that was done. It's like kind of like all of a sudden it's almost like it popped out of nowhere. That's why I actually like, I realized that doing design work for royalty is not passive income, but in my kind of structure, I consider it passive income because I worked once, once Mm -hmm. that, that work is done, then it becomes passive. I will also say that what the way that you're framing it initially it wasn't even that it was like detached the first time you have to wait two years for a product to come out. 
is very, very hard. Yeah. You and I have been doing this long enough now that there is always something in the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't ever think about it. Like yeah. we're both designing for 2025 right now. Mm-hmm. I don't, it doesn't, the models yeah. I design that come out in two years, I'm not going to stress about it. Yeah. I'm not going to think about them until yeah. they're out. And it, and I think here's one thing with you is you have been making knives all along. And so True. I was for eight years, I wasn't really making knives. So all of my creative output was being broken in half into like me designing it and then it coming out years later. Yep. And I didn't realize like how that was affecting me until I got in the shop and like bought that CNC and like it, it like, I felt like a primal connection all of a sudden. And it's a CNC. I mean, it's like modern. It's, it has nothing right. to do with like a caveman, but it, it gave me that caveman itch scratch Ooh. that I didn't know I was missing where it was like, I designed the knife and then I made it. And it was like, I've made knives before. So maybe, maybe I've felt it before, but like it felt different this time because it was like, it is a little, that time horizon wasn't, was, was short enough to align with like the way I feel like our brains were set up in the first place, like pre-industrial revolution. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's like, that being said, I love the new balance that I have of like, I love still the wise thing to do is to design long-term long time horizon, invest for retirement. Totally. You can't not do that. You can't right. not do these things, but you have, I think I'm not trying to like advise anybody, but for me having a, sh- some sort of productivity that has a short time horizon, even if it's just a side hustle, is is so I don't know it's there's something there that's like primal and I love well and it. maybe maybe you like busted up one of my theories too which is okay so your first ten years essentially were CAD driven yeah okay so where I was looking at my work and going man I better make some time to do this design work side hustle your design work was the full time job with occasionally making knives as the side hustle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as you moved into shop work, your brain is not telling you, dude, you're not doing enough design. You're not doing CAD enough. Right. That to me is actually interesting. And it could just be a you, me thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but you found new productivity that it sounds like maybe was satisfying something that was actually missing. Mm -hmm. Did you know it was missing though? I would say no. I would say I didn't. Ooh. And 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 I think I don't want to I don't want to uh like give the impression that when I was doing CAD I didn't feel like I was being productive because I did. Right. But be, I there's the other side of the loop is I finished like let's say a CAD model. I want to see someone use the knife because it's it's like the community side of it is the other side of this circle, right? Like if if it's totally, if you're in a black box and there's no community at all and there's like no like value extension into the people around you, that's where like that cycle is broken, yeah. you know? And so it's like, well, I do the CAD and I'm like, I can't post it on social media because it's a secret yeah. and I can show it to like, t- like two people or something. And then two years later it comes out and I'm stoked about that. Once again, like I think it's awesome, but like, I, I think there was, that was where something was missing. It was like, I want to, I want to do something and then put it in someone's hand. And then that loop is complete and it feels really good. You know, I just, it makes a lot of sense. And it brings up another question too, that I'm kind of curious about. And this like, obviously as it relates to the knife industry. Okay. So with the rise of like these micro brands, right. 
do you think that someone that is having an OEM knife produced, but is not a knife maker, do they have, the, are they getting the same attachment, same satisfaction? I guess it's, it's like you, it's an unanswerable. Yeah. I mean, everybody's situation is different. And I will right. say like nothing about human psychology is universal. Like not sure. a dang thing. Right. Yeah. Um, as soon as I said yeah. it, I realized that it's like, you could have someone who is so psyched just to be doing production yeah. design for themselves. Yeah. yeah. That, that is everything it needs yeah. to be. But uh, I guess all I can say is that is something that was missing in my life. And yeah. I think possibly missing in a lot of people's lives, possibly. Yeah. And, and like I said, that is, it could, it doesn't even have to be something that makes money. Like I said, it's just something that you did and you saw the result in like in front of you that someone else benefited from it yep. in a like short enough time horizon that it feels like it would have felt in the 1800s to like yep. deliver a bale of hay to your neighbor. You know what yep. I mean? Or like a boat. Or yeah, or whatever. Yeah, build a canoe and then you float yeah. it out and you catch the biggest fish that you've caught yet because you built the canoe. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, that's, I think that's critical for, for me and I think probably a lot of people. Oh, uh, side, I've got like, I've got a couple like tangents. One, uh, if you guys want some cool fuel for your Instagram feed, check out First Light Boatworks. Um, mm. It's a boat builder that was on Cape Cod. And like, man, I would look at the photos of what they were doing and I would just geek out. It's so, it's amazing. Same thing. And you're coming out of it like with a functional vessel. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. So second tangent, Mm -hmm. what do you do for play? We're talking about work a lot. Like, do you actively seek play? So the, the way I operate right now, and I think it's a pretty good system is I got my family, got kids got my wife so we spend a lot of time together right now that involves pretty indoorsy like you know little little kids so it's not anything super crazy but you know like reading books and stuff so like that's a big part of play for me like that takes up most of the time but what i try to do is like once or twice a year do something like kind of extreme not like you know jumping out of an airplane skydiving nothing crazy like that so you mean extreme from a like a phase shift standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So like last summer I went on a massive backpacking trip, like 45 miles, Right. you know, just it was like an absolute, like soul crushing elevation gain. And it's like, if I can do that, like once or twice a year, yeah, that like it it diverts my attention and resets me. And I just, I like doing that, but I kind of need it to be like kind of extreme. It's got to kind of push me, um, to kind of reset me. Is that, is that f- oh, sorry. so? My my follow up question to this is going to be to people listening, kind of. Mm. So I see I see flow state. That's the goal, right? Like I want to go surfing. I want to go fast on a bicycle. I want to go snowboarding. Like that moment where you're you're achieving like almost anti self because mm. you're in flow state. Do you consider that t- like what you're talking about, like backpacking trip? is that reaching for an edge or is that actually achieving flow flow state for yeah, sure you you recognize sure. it more as flow state for sure cuz i am not trying to if it was if it was reaching for the edge i'd be trying to do something like be the first to summit a mountain or like yeah you're not like alex invent, honnold like yeah, you're not exactly. like a free solo cap El Capitan. Like, no yeah. <laughs> no for me it's just like 
I want to get in. I want to put myself in a position where the things that matter for four days are the are totally different than the things that matter the other three hundred days of the year, because it it just like it you know it just turns it just changes your perspective, and then I can come back and feel really good about it. So yeah, I just I, I have to be doing that. Um, and like I said, when the kids grow older, I think they can do more of that stuff with me. It doesn't have to totally. be extreme. Doesn't have to be forty five miles, but like we're gonna go set up a tent on the river and we're gonna fish. And let's challenge ourselves to see how little of our food that we brought we can eat because we're going to try to catch as many fish as totally. possible. Like something cra- just weird. Like I, w- I, would, I can't wait to do that kind of stuff with my kids. Um, but we're there, like right now is a, a unique time, like I said, where the kids are not even one and three years old. And yeah. so it's like it's it's small scale. Dude, it just keeps getting more and more fun. Yeah. Like yeah. we've got five and a half and two and a half. Mm. And like it is it's legitimately fun mm-hmm. you yeah. know like we're going yeah. out now with them skiing yeah yeah and i can't like, wait for d- that that's the thing like you're doing it you're doing it as a family you're it's not necessarily comfortable it usually there's a few meltdowns like we load our pockets full of gummy bears and marshmallows and yeah. we just try to have fun like just going sometimes is the goal yeah we're gonna yeah, go yeah. out we're gonna get in our gear we're going to slide down the hill a couple of times. Cool. You mm-hmm. guys are ready to go. Let's go have lunch. Make it really fun. Like I love the idea of making uncomfortable situations acceptable. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. And like even that. enjoyable mm-hmm. because I mean, as you like, if you look at it, like a lot of what we do is work. Like, I mean, not all of it is just super enjoyable. It's just that you have found an area in it that creates mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I try to remind myself to do that, that reset that I'm talking about, but like work feels like play for me right now. Yeah. Like I, I just work, you know, like I said, down 20 something odd hours. I feel I'm so happy, dude. Like when I, good. when I got home at 6am, I was like, I could just feel this energy, like pulling me towards the shop. Yeah. And the only reason I didn't go to work and decided to sleep like three hours was because I just was thinking ahead and I'm like, I'm going to record this podcast. I don't yeah. want to totally die, but it, but like the work, it just feels like I'm playing flag football or like I'm, yeah. you know, well, hiking. I mean, it just feels this good. Is, I think when we had kids, this really came to the forefront because I had worked for so like I started working at my business when I was 19. I had my first kid at 35. Mm-hmm. I worked how and when I wanted completely obsession driven. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but like around kids, it's not just your time anymore. Yeah. And so I never wanted to have that, like, um, I don't even know if this is actually from the movie, but, um, like honey, I shrunk the kids where Rick Moranis like comes up from the basement. I don't want to like come up from the shop and my kids be like, dude, we haven't seen you in like two weeks. And in my brain, I could do it. Yeah. Because I'm so completely engaged by just being in the shop. I can relate to that completely. That's man. a work. So yeah. that's a work yeah. method, right? So yeah. if that's work and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I have to adapt this method to family structure. I think just that alone can be hard to reconcile mm-hmm. because you're like, I need to work, you know, 15 hours a day. But I think for me, the family side is it's making me better. And I think it's honestly, it's the one of the most critical balancing elements I've ever brought into my life because 100%. I could be a very one dimensional person right now if I <laughs> didn't have my kids. 
And it's just that having the kids makes work feel like a privilege. It sounds weird, but like if like if it it makes work, it kind of makes it a carrot on a stick because it's like I can't always work. And I know that. And I can't always be with my kids. So they both are like, it's kind of like you. I have two wolves. Yep. You know, I have the work yep. and the family. Yep. And one of them could totally dominate my life and I'd be happy for a while, but maybe not forever. Yep. And so having them both is, it's a healthy situation. Man, it's, a, it's a long game. Yeah. Right. I mean, that is, that is the true, I mean, family, obviously work. If you start young, like nobody, th- nobody like thinks it's a long game. Like, I don't think most people are thinking like, Hey, like, you know, there's a point where my hands are going to hurt, mm-hmm. you know? And if you are, you're like, but I'm going to be badass and I'm going to work with my hands hurting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's like, yeah. yeah, there's some process in there, man. A lot of like, uh, I don't know. There's a lot tied into it, but yeah. if Bob Trizola is listening, he's like, my hands don't hurt. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm out here making you, knives. You bleep. Yeah. Expletive. <laughs> yeah. Get to work. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I mean, that's, again, that's a passion. That's a passion driven thing. Like I look at it and I think sometimes like as I get older, there's actually, there's a potential that I'll work more Mm -hmm. as the kids are older, as, as there's a little more time around the margins. Um, yeah. Or more focused. I don't know, man. So I don't know if we answered like, for like, what is work? And I think that probably this is something that I would like to touch in on occasionally because I have a feeling that for you and I both different elements of making and business and life are going to keep coming in. And we're going to be able to ask that question again, like, is this work? Right. Yeah. That is, I think it's a great thing to, to talk about because I think compartmentalizing is kind of a good thing I'm inclined to believe because treating the things that you consider work like work and not like a hobby allows you to treat your hobbies like hobbies. Right. Because if you, you can't treat everything like work. Yeah. But if you treat the work like work and the hobbies like hobbies, I think they're both better for it. Yeah. That's like some general mindfulness, like wisdom right there. Like, you know, be here now. It's like, like whatever you're doing, do that thing. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Pretty good. Should we, uh, should we wrap it on that, man? I feel like that was a fun conversation. Pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty heady. Pretty. (laughs) We we got it. We got to go from surface grinding feeds and speeds to an intellectual deep dive. You just got to do it. Right. It's all related. We wouldn't have called it edge and flow if that wasn't what we were going to (laughs) do. So if, uh, out of curiosity, like for those of you listening, if you don't like tag us in like a post or something, I'd be very curious. Like if you're seeking play or work, are you, are you edge or are you flow? Yeah. Let's know what you think. What's the, what's the driver there for you? And do we make any sense right now? Or am I like, currently experiencing an endogenous dump of dmt because i'm so sleep deprived that i'm which actually makes me i can't even tell you how happy this makes me that like maybe i need you sleep deprived (laughs) to like fully (laughs) start conversations yeah right oh man i love it that was super fun yeah Yeah, i don't know if we made any sense but 
Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, leave us a review. Good, bad, or otherwise. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you yeah. around. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.